Good morning. I'll be reading from uh, John chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, and also uh, 39 through 42. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told, uh, he told me all about all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And he said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be back with you this morning. I missed you last week. I was down in South Alabama, had the privilege of performing the wedding ceremony for my niece, Courtney Swinney, who's now Harrison, uh, and her husband, Matthew, and they got married down in Fairhope, and we dodged the rain just barely. Uh, I'm always questioning these outdoor weddings because it's such a big risk, but we got through it. We didn't have rain. And uh, if you've never been to Fairhope, it is a nice little town. If you're ever down that way and, and want to spend some time in a nice little town with lots of great little shops, I'm looking forward to going back and enjoying some of that without my phone going off every five minutes with something else to do for the wedding. And so, looking forward to that. But good to be back. Hope you're uh, glad to be here today. And, and if you're visiting, you're in a good place. And I hope you'll stay around and get to know folks. I want to begin in 2 Timothy this morning, chapter 2 and kind of use this as a jumping off point to get to John chapter 4 where our reading just came from. God's plan and God's desire is that when we become Christians, when we surrender our lives to Him, that we all become very useful in His service. Paul wrote about it this way. He said in verse 20, Now in a large house... There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, talking about those dishonorable things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. And so as Christians, that's what God wants. He wants us to be useful. But I wonder sometimes if we're always as useful to God as He would like for us to be. And I wonder sometimes if we're always as prepared for every good work as He'd like us to be. Sometimes we tend to pick on the ladies just a little bit, and I'm reminded of one of my favorite preacher stories. Uh, there was an older preacher, and uh, this older preacher, he'd had all kinds of trouble with his teeth, and he'd been to the dentist, and uh, the dentist had drilled and filled and capped and crowned, and nothing was working. And so finally this older preacher, he got frustrated, and so he went to the dentist's office, and he said, listen, doc, he said, I've had it, this is, this is ridiculous, just pull all my teeth and order me some dentures. And so the dentist obliged, pulled all the old preacher's teeth, ordered him a set of false teeth. Well, the next Sunday came, and if you don't know this about preachers, you need to. When Sunday comes, preachers want to preach. And so, first Sunday, after having had all of his teeth pulled, the preacher gets up and preaches a ten-minute sermon. 
And some of the people like that. And you're not getting one of those today, by the way. Second Sunday, after having had all of his teeth pulled, the preacher gets up and preaches a 20-minute sermon, and people like that pretty well. But then the third Sunday, after having had all of his teeth pulled, the preacher gets up and preaches for an hour and a half. And you know what happened after that. Uh, the, the shepherds are getting phone calls. You've got to sit down with a preacher. You've got to figure this out. I mean, it's 10 minutes, and it's 20 minutes, and it's an hour and a half, and we need some consistency here. And so the shepherds call the preacher in, and they said, well, just tell us what's going on. And he said, well, it's very simple. He said, that first Sunday after I'd had all of my teeth pulled, he said, my gums were killing me, and 10 minutes was the best I could do. And he said, the second Sunday, after I'd had my teeth pulled, I had just gotten my new false teeth and they were uncomfortable to me and I wasn't used to them yet. And he said, 20 minutes was the best I could do, but he said, I really feel bad about that third Sunday. He, he said, I forgot to set my alarm and I woke up late and I was running behind. And so as I was trying to get everything together and run to the door, I thought I picked up my false teeth, but I accidentally got my wife's false teeth instead. And once I did that, I just couldn't quit talking. <laughs> I know, it's a joke. <laughs> Truth be told, we who are male, we do our own fair share of talking. But sometimes we do pick on the ladies, but I share that to get us to John 4 because it's almost ironic that, that we're going to look at all of us and a role in being useful to God and we're going to see it illustrated so well through a woman, not just any woman, a woman who probably would be one of the last people we'd ever pick out of a lineup to say, well, yeah, I think she'd be the one to really be useful to God. And so we're going to learn from her through John 4 this morning. I love this chapter, and, and you're probably familiar. Jesus shows up at Jacob's well, and, and He begins this dialogue with a Samaritan woman, and He opens it up by saying, give me a drink, and then they launch into this life-changing discussion. And we're not so much interested in that discussion this morning as we are the aftermath, what's already been read for you. She leaves her water pot. She heads into the city. She starts telling her story. People are listening to her. And then from that, other people come out to hear Jesus and many believe in Him because of her. And so as we open this morning, what we want to talk about first is the idea that God can use anyone. I want us to be reminded of who we're dealing with, and we do want to notice a couple of verses from this text in, in John chapter 4, because again, this woman is probably not the person that you're going to pick out of the crowd to help. Notice verse 9 of John chapter 4. The Bible says, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, and this is in response to Jesus saying, Give me a drink. How is it that you, being a Jew, Asked me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman. And then I don't know what it does in your translation, but in the New American Standard, then you've got parentheses, and it says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And if you've studied the Gospels, if you've studied the life of Christ, you understand this wasn't just Jews not having dealings with Samaritans. This was racism in Jesus' day. Because when the Jew looked at a Samaritan, what the Jew saw was a second-class citizen. A Samaritan had some Jewish blood in them, but their blood had been defiled. They were impure. And so when a Jew looked at Samaritan, this was racism. And so for Jesus to show up and say, give me a drink, this Samaritan woman, she thinks she understands some things. 
She even says, I believe it's verse 11, you've shown up and you're asking me for a drink. You have nothing to draw water with. And I know as a Jewish man, you're not going to drink after me because what Jewish man in his right mind would drink after a Samaritan woman and make himself unclean? But see, Jesus was here to help us understand some things. He was here to help us understand that God can use people of any race. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed about my work with the school is through the years, you know, we were founded as International Bible College, and so we've always had this influx of students from other countries. And so as you get to know them, and you meet them, and you begin to understand how God's work is done in other cultures, and you understand some things, it's always been a joy. And so we get that, and we travel, and we know God uses people of any race. We do still have issues with racism, though. And we need to make sure that we understand fully that Christians are Christians, no matter what race they may be. And so we get that. God uses people of any race. But then we also need to be reminded that God uses people of of any, or we should say both, genders. Now true, and a role of women, and that's often a big discussion. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about leadership roles being defined with men in the church, and he bases his command, he bases his discussion on history. He doesn't base it on the culture of the day, and history doesn't change, and so the command hasn't changed. But when you think about the value of our women, and what God can do and what God does do with women. You think about if you've been in church since you were young, you think about some of those Bible classes. Where would we be without our women? I can still remember to this day some of those early Bible classes and some of those fine, godly ladies that taught those classes. And and I'm convinced that a lot of times if we didn't have our women teach some of those classes, some of us who are male, we would not have the patience, probably. But our women, they get in there and they do a great job. Maybe your mother has been very influential in your upbringing spiritually. Maybe you've had a grandmother very involved in helping you be who you are today as a Christian. And then I think of what our women do. Our women, Sheila right here with us. Savannah's own Sheila Hamlin. The idea that you prepare yourself and that you go into the mission field and you work with women, you work with people who are very receptive to the Gospel. I love to see those stories occur. God uses people of any race and God uses people of both genders. And then we've also got to remember that God uses people who show up with some baggage. There's an interesting thing we do as humans when uh, we're first introduced to somebody, we're trying to get somebody or get to know somebody, it's very normal for us to want to present ourselves in the very best possible light. And you see that going on here in John chapter 4 because as the discussion goes on, finally Jesus says, call your husband and have him come here. In other words, I want to meet your husband. And what Jesus is doing here, he's setting her up. He's getting ready to help her understand that he's not just some Jewish man standing here at the well, but that he's a lot more than that. And so he says, have your husband come out. And you remember her response in verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you've correctly said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you said truly. See, Jesus says to her, I understand. I understand that your life's a mess. And yet, it does not stop. She shows up with some trouble. She shows up with some problems. She shows up with some baggage. And yet, Jesus 
is going to find a way for her to be very useful in the kingdom. Sometimes the Bible's interesting for what it does not say. Remember back in Acts chapter 9 when Saul is converted. One of the things the Bible does not say about Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9 is there's nothing in there about Saul saying, wow, I'm a Christian now. Let me take some time. Let me make sure that people know that, that, that all this past and all this trouble, all this that's been behind me, let them make sure they know that I'm really a Christian now. There's nothing about him making excuses that way. What you see from Saul in Acts 9 is him immediately jumping in just as passionate to do right as he was passionate about doing what he thought was right that he found out was wrong. One of the things that we've got to remember Every one of us has a past. Every one of us can claim some, some, some baggage, some things that we'd rather not claim. But the idea of coming to God and being useful to Him is that baggage ends up being in the rearview mirror. Uh, go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And these words are, are probably very familiar to you. But I like the way what Paul did when he taught is he would talk about things, but then he'd always remember the good news. He'd always remember the upside. And so in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says this, Or do you not know, in other words, you know this, we've talked about this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, he says, you you've know this, we've talked about this, I've taught this to you. If this is your lifestyle, if this is the way you're choosing to live your life, you, you have no expectation of being in heaven one day. But then notice verse 11, the good news. He goes on to say, such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. In other words, some of you were, you were this way, but you're not this way now. You had that baggage in the past, but, the, but it's, it's, it's past history. See, why do we talk about the idea that God can use people of any race and, and God can use people of both genders and God can use people who show up with baggage? We do all of that to remind us that God can use you and God can use me. The second thing, though, that we learn from this woman here in John chapter 4 is that we need to be very open to being used by God. And again, the Bible is interesting for what it does not say. There in John chapter 4, uh, there's nothing in the biblical record about Jesus saying, okay, we've had this discussion. I think your life's going to be different now. So this is what I need you to do. I need you to go into town. And I need you to talk to some people. And I need you to get some people out here to see me. John, John 4 doesn't say that that went on at all. It just simply says in verse 28, So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I've ever done. She came to the well with one purpose, but now she's leaving with another. There is significance in her leaving that water pot behind. Her life is now going to be about something different. The living water she's experienced has taken precedence over the H2O that's sloshing around in that pot. And she doesn't need to be slowed down as she goes back into town to tell her story. Jesus has changed her life. Moses had an encounter with the Lord. And we talked about Moses the very first Sunday night that I was here. 
And we talked about all the excuses that he made when God's got a need, I've got things that need to be done, and I'm, I'm choosing you. Moses said, no, I'm not the guy. And he said it five different times in five different ways until God finally got angry. When we go to the mirror, one of the questions that I believe is worth asking as I think about my life, as I think about my walk with God, does my life and does my relationship with God, does it, does it look more like Moses where every time I realize there's something God wants from me that I'm giving God all the excuses about why I'm not the person. And see, I think this is, I think this is valuable discussion because, again, we talked about it week one. When a church is in transition, we might be tempted to take our foot off the gas and we might be tempted to coast. And the problem is there's still people who need Jesus and, and God wants all of us to be useful. So there's no reason why church can't continue to move forward. So when I think about my relationship, am I, am I making excuses? Or does my life look more like this woman? So overwhelmed by my encounter with Jesus, so overwhelmed by what He's done for me, so overwhelmed by the difference that He's made in my life, that I just absolutely have to find somebody to tell. You ever wonder why we don't share the story more often? Because I think we all struggle with that from time to time. And I want to talk to those of us, maybe for just a moment, who basically have grown up in the church. In other words, from the time you can remember, somebody was bringing you to church. And this is one of the things that I'm afraid happens to us. We've been coming to church from the time we can remember. And we've been sitting in Bible classes, and we've been singing those songs, and we've been learning those Bible stories. And then somewhere along the time, we're maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, we start beginning to understand that our Bible teachers, they're teaching us that there's right and there's wrong. And the wrong is called sin. And I realize as a young person, I have done wrong, and so that's sin. But then I've also been taught that Jesus came, and He went to the cross, He was raised again. He defeated death. And so if I'm baptized in into Him, my sins will be forgiven. And so I go through that process as a young person and I begin my walk with God. But in a lot of ways, it doesn't really seem like my life ever changed a whole lot because in one sense, I was kind of a good person all the way along. And because of that, maybe we sometimes lose sight of where we'd be without a Savior. And where we'd be Without a cross, and where we'd be without His grace, and where we'd be without His mercy. I think of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the, the wages of sin is death. Without Him, on my very best, all I can earn is death. There's, there's nothing I could do on my own. Romans 5, verse 6, for, for while we were still helpless, if I'm, if I'm helpless, there's nothing I can do. And see, I think when we can go back and be reminded of where we would be without Him, it doesn't matter then how long we've been in church, maybe we can begin to be overwhelmed again by the magnitude of what He's done for us. One of the other things we learn from this woman, though, is that we see her stepping out of her comfort zone. Jesus pretty much picks her up and yanks her out of her comfort zone just by speaking to her. Again, Jewish man speaking to Samaritan woman. Women were often treated like property anyway. I mean, she's out of her comfort zone already, but do you notice the reaction? And if you thought about the time of day, the sixth verse says that it's the sixth hour. 
And there's debate among scholars. Are we talking about the Roman calendar, which would be 6 p.m.? Are we talking about the Jewish calendar, which would be noon? I believe it's noontime. And noontime is not the time of day to go draw water from a well. Drawing water was women's work. It's what women did. Noontime was not the time that they normally came. But in the text, you know, you don't get the idea that Jesus has shown up to a crowded place. You kind of get the idea that it's Him and her. But think about it this way. If your life's a mess, you've been married five times, you're with somebody else now, every time you're around the, the holy, the good women, the, you know, you've, you've all, we've all walked into a room and had the sense that maybe somebody's talking about us. And if that's your life, every time you walk into a room, you realize that the good ladies are talking about you because your life's a mess. See, I can see it'd be very easy to want to show up at noontime, show up at a time of day when you're there by yourself, you get your water, you get your work done, and then you're long gone before everybody else shows up. I think that was this lady's comfort zone. Having, just being able to avoid the crowd. But notice the reaction. Notice what happens afterward. Verse 28, she leaves her water pot. She heads into the city. She starts talking to the men. And you place yourself, maybe you're with some of your buddies at the city gate, kind of sitting around like men sometimes do. And you know how men are. Sitting there and you look off in the distance and somebody's coming and who is that? I think it's that woman. It's the, that's that woman that's been married five times. I wonder what she wants. And somebody's going to say, well, she's probably coming to marry one of us. You know, that's how men, you know, men can be very hateful. She's not thinking about any of that. She comes to the men and she says, I've got to tell you about this guy. This guy told me everything that I've ever done. I think we found the Christ. She steps right out of her comfort zone. Notice what happens. People listen. People will listen to someone who's passionate about the message that they share. Now there are some people in your life, because of who they are and because of what they mean to you, if they have something they want to share with you, you will listen to them simply because of who they are, simply because of the relationship. That's not this woman. This is not the woman that you're going to listen to because she's got fine, upstanding character. This is not the woman you're going to listen to because of who she is. My belief that it is her, it's got to be her, the passion with which she's telling her story. That's why the people are listening. And so, as we finish up this morning, that brings us to this pattern that we see a pattern for being used by God, a pattern that we see here in John chapter 4, a pattern that will still work today. The first part of that pattern is a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Jesus has changed this woman's life. She leaves the well without her water pot, but she leaves the well with a new purpose. She leaves the well with a new mission. And it is my belief that we need to try to return or rethink the term missionary. In other words, if, if, I, if I say the word missionary, you know, what picture does that paint in your mind? I'm trying to get there with my picture to see if I'm close. See, normally, we think about these folks like these who they go and they do work in a place like Albania. Or we think of Brother Steve who goes and, and does work in various places. 
And that's very normal because when we think missionary, that's often what we think. But see, I think we need to rethink that term. I think when we think missionary, what we also need to think, along with those other things, is we need to think about that person that looks back at us in the mirror. Because we need to find that word, a missionary is someone devoted to or pursuing a mission. And from where we started in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you might call that purpose-driven. You might call that being ready for every good work. You might call that useful to the Master. But it is this idea that going into town with the message is as important as going to the other side of the globe. God honors both efforts. We need to be doing both. God's intention is that all of His children, in one way or another, be missionaries. And that applies whether we ever step foot outside of our country. In Mark chapter 16, when Jesus says, go into all the world, the literal there, it's, it's as you go. And all of us go somewhere every day. And so the pattern for being used by God, number one, a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Number two, go tell someone. This lady, she had to tell her story. She didn't shy away from doing that. And sometimes in the church, we shy away a little bit about from the idea of somebody giving their testimony. Maybe it sounds too denominational to us, but, but notice that's exactly what she's doing. She's saying, I met this guy, and this guy is how, this is how he changed my life. That's giving a testimony. We may not know as much as we'd like to about this book, we may not have as the depth of knowledge that we know we ought to have about this book. But if we're Christians, one thing that all of us can do is we can say, this was my life before I was a Christian, and this is what Jesus has done to change my life. This is my life now. All of us can do that. And see, if we'll do that, then fascinated people will begin to seek Jesus for themselves. That's the third part of this. Notice again verse 39 of the text. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking Him to stay with them, and He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of His word, and they were saying to the woman, and this, verse 42, if you ever want a goal for evangelism, if you ever want a goal for church growth, verse 42 ought to always be the goal. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. See, our role is to introduce people to Jesus. Our role is to bring people to the feet of Jesus. Christianity cannot be inherited. I can't go to heaven on my wife's faith. My children cannot go to heaven on my faith. They can't ride my coattails to heaven. In other words, the idea is we have to help people have a personal relationship with Jesus that is their own. We bring them to the Word of God. We help them meet Jesus there. We help them understand who He is on their own. So on that day, when they obey the Gospel, they can say, well, it's not because you told me it's what I need to do. It's because I've met Jesus, and I know this is what Jesus needs me to do, and I know Jesus loved me, and I know Jesus, if, if there had been nobody else in the world, He'd have still died for me. So it's a life-changing encounter with Jesus. It's go tell someone. Fascinated people seek Jesus for themselves. And then step four, the process simply repeats. Some of us don't like the idea of sales. But if we're Christians, 
in one sense, we're all in sales. The idea of we've got to have a bit of a mindset that says if it is to be, it's up to me. Not that, that God's not powerful, but that God has given me a role and God has given me influence. And there may be some folks that I've got influence with that nobody else does. There may be an area of work that only I can plug into and be effective. And so the idea is, in being useful to the Master, I'm open to whatever God needs from me. And so as Bradley begins to lead us in the song that he selected today, the idea of God taking our lives and making it what He wants to be. First, have you had that life-changing encounter with Jesus today? And most of us have. Most of us are Christians already. And the second question is simply, if you're a Christian, are we living changed lives? Are we allowing God to use us? And I just want to challenge us today as we leave here Whatever it may be, let's stay open to the idea of allowing God to use us like never before. Not in a limited way like we might be able to see, but in the big, magnificent way that maybe God sees that we've not seen yet. Maybe you're here today, though, and you're not a Christian. Maybe you need to allow Jesus to change your life today. Maybe you're ready to be baptized into Him. If you're ready to make that commitment, we're ready to, to assist you in your obedience. If you need to respond, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.